Well, good morning to you all. It is, um, it is great to be together. And, I don't know, I, I woke up this morning uh, very tired. I think it's been a, a number of consecutive days with like really poor sleep. I don't know what's going on with Sam, but he's having an issue. Sam is our, our 10-month-old baby, and um, he, he's just had some issues lately, just sleeping, and as well as me either staying up late because I needed to or staying up late because I'm foolish and then not getting enough sleep uh, in that time period. And so that's on me, but I definitely was praying to the Lord, give me strength. And I can, I can tell my mind is, is working in, in one track and it's not able to handle like multiple things. So I'm probably about 60%, uh, but I'm giving all of that 60% to this right now. So that should be good and the Holy Spirit will make up for all the rest. Amen? So come on, Holy Spirit. Uh, but before we do that, let's go ahead and, before we jump into this, let's pray together, if we can. Yeah. Father, we, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, you are the creator of all. And we praise you this morning. We, we know that your spirit is with us. We know that when we gather together in your name, that you are here with us, Lord. And God, I pray that our hearts can be moved this morning. I pray that our convictions can be built. That uh, your spirit would just move powerfully within us to, to change us to be more and more like you, O oh God. As we strive to know you and be like you and, and just to be close to you, really. Lord, we, we're so grateful for this time. Be with me as an instrument of your will. Let each of us acknowledge the role that we play in, in being instruments of your will, God. But I pray that this morning our hearts and our minds can be honed in and focused on what you are trying to teach us this morning. It's in your name we pray and give thanks. Amen. 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 Well, I will, uh, I'll be wrapping up. I've been doing the, the series, which, uh, which I've called the, the Church of Christ, right? So this will be the, the last one. We've been going through the book of Acts. And, and I call it the, the Church of Christ, Part 4. And it's, we're, we're going to look at it in a sec. And I want to make, I've said this each time, and I'm going to say it again. You know, we are the Burlington Church of Christ. And when I say the Church of Christ, I don't mean like our church or our fellowship of churches. I mean the church that belongs to Jesus. And every, every individual who has given their lives over to Him, that follows His will and His teachings and walks in step with the scriptures, they are a part of his church, right? And so when we dig into this, we're looking at the first century church. We're talking about what did they live like? What did they do? What were their convictions? What was their heart? Uh, what were their habits? How did they think? And we've been talking about this for a couple months now um, between interrupted different sermons. And so this will be the last, the last one. Amen? Uh, of this Church of Christ series as a church who's really just striving to be connected to Christ. We want to. That's what they were, and we also want to be that. So it's what we strive for. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, turn over to Acts chapter chapter two, and we will start there. And we'll just have a quick, try to have a really quick recap of what we've already discussed. I'm working on it, Kizzle. Alright, Acts 2, so verse 42, we're going to read here, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we, we looked at this, we've, we've kind of broken down each part of the things they're, they're devoted to. So we talked about that they're devoted to the apostles' teachings and what that meant, digging in and studying the scriptures. And, and certainly it's the gospel message, but it's even more on, on how to, what does that mean? How does that change us? What does it mean to live like a disciple of Jesus? And they were devoted to that pursuit of being a community of learning. And they would, they would devote themselves to learning God's Word, to studying it, to teaching it, and to obeying it. I mean, that's what it talks about. They were devoted to these teachings. And it was amazing to see that this heart and this character of the church, that if, they, uh, if you look in like Acts 17, it talks about the Bereans were of more noble character. They were, they were thought to be of high-minded, people of integrity, because when they heard the Word, they went back and they studied the Scriptures, and they examined them to make sure that the things that they were being taught were true. And, and that's the type of character that we want to have as a fellowship as well. And, and that was a notable group of people. I mean, there's, there's a reason that part is in there. That they, I, I mean, I would love for you know, God to say at the end of time, He's like, I remember the Burlington Church specifically. You guys were a noble people. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Bereans will literally forever be remembered as people of notable character because of their pursuit of God's Word. I just, I think that's incredible to think about. They got, I mean, the Holy Spirit just called them out as being amazing. And, and my prayer is that we as well can be a people who study the Scriptures. And I've been so encouraged to see um, just uh, the number of people over the last several weeks um, who've really started just taking notes more and being more engaged in the Scriptures and, and, and applying it and talking about it. And I've been so encouraged by you. So I'm, I'm encouraged by you, church. Amen. But the, uh, the other thing that we look at is they were, they were devoted to the fellowship. And last time we talked about, uh, several weeks ago, that this idea was not just hanging out together. As this kind of, I grew up as a young Christian thinking fellowship was when, you know, all the, the disciples would get together and maybe we go grab some food and we play some games and just spend some time. And, and that is a piece of sharing our lives. But that's not actually what koinonia, which is this word fellowship, means. It meant a, a, a deep sharing of everything. Often materially, we shared, the, the church would share material wealth and goods as well as time and energy and everything else. And that brought them, they brought them into being a community where they shared everything. And since so they had everything in common, that's because they had koinonia. It was just, they, they had it all there together. And they were devoted to one another. They were devoted and said, we are a kingdom, we're one people, we're going we're gonna to work as one community to share what we have and take care of each other and meet each other's needs and build each other up. And people saw that and were in awe. And thousands of people would become Christians over just the next couple of weeks, really. I mean, it was, it was incredible to see. And you read through the book of Acts. And, and you keep going. So it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And, and the breaking of bread is, is communion. We just did that a little while ago. And thanks, Chris. You know, I appreciate it. 
as uh, you're munching on your own nutrient-rich bread, and it takes a while to get down, right? But, you know, we, uh, we do reflect on communion, on the broken body of Christ that was given for us, and we try to do that every week. We try to devote ourselves to that. But it wasn't just the breaking of bread and the sense of communion is what we talked about. It was also the idea of sharing a meal and spending time together. And there is something unique about when you eat with someone else. You know, nobody wants to be the kid in the cafeteria that eats by themselves. Right? You want to have some people to go and spend time with. And there's something about that. When you eat together, you're, you're a part of that group. And that's what he's... In, in the Jewish culture as well, if, if you didn't eat with somebody, that was a, that was a poignant remark to say, I'm not going to eat with you. I, I, you're, you're not an acceptable person for me to be with. And so to share a meal was a powerful thing. And, and so the idea that they're saying, hey, come into my home and eat this meal with me and break bread with me and, and spend time with me, that was powerful. And that's why we've talked about the, the encouragement of, of host one, be at one. You know, try to host somebody in your home and share a meal once a month. Try to go and, and be at someone else's house and, and, ta- and accept an invitation to be there to share a meal with someone else and, and bring them into your home and to go into someone's home as we strive to be a church that's connected together. Amen? Right. And so lastly is this one. In Acts, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Certain translations actually say they devoted themselves to the prayers. And that caught my attention when I read that. I said, what's going on there? Because that's not how I've seen it. Because that implies that there was something specific that they were kind of praying over. Do you get what I mean? And, and that's what we're going to actually dig into today. Alright? Yeah. Amen. So we're going to talk about this idea of prayer. So, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking or referencing a number of scriptures today. So if you want, you can take a picture of the slides that I'm going to put up here, or you can write them down. Uh, my encouragement is I am not going to read everyone, but I encourage you as you strive to be the people, right, of, of learners devoted to the scriptures, devoted to, to learning and teaching and, and obeying, that you will go over these scriptures yourselves. Build your own convictions on it. And we're going to strive to be like the first century church that's connected to Christ. Amen? Amen. So, as we take a look uh, at prayer, we're going to look through the book of Acts, and we're going to look at, you're going to see multiple themes. Alright? Now, you're going to see, one, that the disciples often, not exclusively, but often, were praying together. And then, two, that the, when the disciples pray, well, they get together and pray, the Holy Spirit does something incredible. Right? The, oftentimes, the, the gospel is, is going to be preached afterwards. The Christians get together, they pray, the Holy Spirit does something awesome, they get out there, they share the gospel message and the good news, and they can't help but talk about Jesus because they're just fired up. The, their prayer has just inspired them, and they get out there. And then you have, uh, oftentimes, people get saved. Under the, the prayers of the disciples move God, they move people, and people become Christians. And, and gain eternal and everlasting life. So, to do this though, I want to I lay down a, a few things, right? And we're, so, 
what is the prayers? All right, or what is prayer? Now, when you look at, at first century Christianity and in, in these passages, all these people are Jews. I mean, it, it, almost every single one is a Jewish person or someone who's converted to Judaism and, and has, is going to become a Christian. And for a Jewish person, from the age of 6 to 12, they would memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. They would memorize all of the book of Psalm. Now, that's, if, for reference, that's 150 chapters. It's over 2,000 verses or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a ton to memorize. And so, imagine... Right, like Emmett Hawley at this point could, from memory, almost do most of the Old Testament. Do you get what I'm saying? Emmett is is uh, ten, nine. nine. Okay, so I mean, he's already gonna by that point have much of the first five books of the Bible totally down. That's that's incredible to think about, and now it's just normal education system of of young Jewish children. And so, for them, they knew these prayers. They knew the book of Psalm. And, and, and Psalm is just, it's 150 different chapters of songs, poems, um, of hymns, right? And, and they're coming together, and, and they know these, these prayers. Their songs, their prayers, and their poems is what you see. That's what, that's what the book of Psalm is. And so, these people knew these from an early age, they had, they had repeated them over and over and over and over. And the Jews trained themselves by speaking Scripture out loud. And so they would have to just repeat them out loud again and again and again and again and again until they just had them down. And, and that, that amazes me. I mean, I've got some Scripture memorized, but it inspires me to think. And so anyways... So when it talks about the prayers, it's talking about like ritual prayers. It's going through the book of Psalm. Uh, you have things like Luke 11, the Our Father. There's not really a lot of ritual prayers in the New Testament. So when you think of the Jews, what did they get together and pray? They're praying the prayers of the Jewish community. The early Christians are praying the prayers of the Jewish community. And, and not only are they... Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So there's ritual prayer and there's conversational prayer, Right? And that's the prayers like what you see of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus, he's, he's on his knees and he's just praying for the believers. And he's praying to the Father. And he's saying, God, take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. And so you, you get into it. And that was the moment when that person's like, whoops. Uh, so the, but the thing is, is there, you see that prayer doesn't have to be a ritual. It can be a conversation with God. And I remember a conversation I had with a, young, a friend of mine in high school and in, in early college. And he said, hey, how often do you pray? And he goes, you know, I really don't like to pray because I get tired of praying the same prayer over and over and over again. Because all he had been taught in he and I's tradition really was the same couple of prayers. And that's, that's literally all he'd ever been taught to pray. He had no idea how to have a conversation with God and bring his own heart forward. Now, Ritual prayer can be amazing when done together. And, and there, is, there is great power in that. Again, I'm start, trying to get ahead of myself. But conversational prayer aspect is, it can be 
an easy conversation. Sometimes it's clear. You know what your heart is. You know what you want. You try to talk to God. Sometimes it's not so clear. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit literally just has to figure out what's going on in you. In, in Romans 8.26, it tells us that the Holy Spirit will, will search our hearts and intercede for us when we, have, when we just don't have intelligible words. When we're so overwhelmed by anguish or frustration or joy and we just cry out, that's where the Holy Spirit can actually pray through our hearts. It says His job is to go search our hearts and He brings it to God when we just don't even know what to say. And I don't know about you, I mean, it's, it's been a little while since I, not that long, since I've had a prayer where it's like, I just don't know what to say. And I just like, I've, I've beat my fists on the ground and just literally growled, groaned, yelled in frustration. Like, I don't... Ugh! Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And, and those are the moments where you can still put your heart towards, towards God and the Spirit is interceding for you on your behalf. Right? I think that's incredible. Because I don't always understand my heart. But thankfully, God understands things better than I do. Amen? And so you have this sort of prayer. So that's kind of what prayer, you know, and, and there's obviously, there's literally books about this concept. So this is so abbreviated. Uh, here's a great book that I want to recommend. It's a, it's a book called Face to Face. Uh, by a guy named Kenneth Bowen. What he does is he takes the book of Psalm as well as a number of other scriptures and you literally pray through the scriptures and he changes the words just enough that you are able to, to sit down and he helps you prepare your hearts in prayer and pray through the scriptures back to God. And if you ever feel like, I don't know, sometimes I just don't know how to pray. This is an incredible book. I mean, I, I've not prayed through the whole thing. I've done it for probably two weeks at a time uh, at different points and and it just helps me prepare my heart and get back to, oh, okay, bring my heart to God. Look at the Scriptures. It moves me to see how powerful Scripture is. But I'd recommend this. If you're having trouble in your own prayer life and you, you want to try to get to a place where you can do it, check this book out. Grab it on Amazon. You can get it on a Kindle for like $5, I think. I mean, it's, it's, you can get it in a paperback for 7 I mean, it's, it's not expensive and it's something easy and you can put it in a bag or keep it with you. It's great. I recommend it. Plus, it's an opportunity to learn more scripture as you read it. So, but let's move forward. It says, so let's look at who prays. And the, the quick answer to that, so that was, what is prayer or the prayers? Who prays? The quick answer is anyone, at any time, and everyone, together. You know, when we, we see this, I guess you, you can ask the question, there's a lot of motivators to get us to pray. And you can have a ton of motivations, all right, really. Um, you can have a desire to glorify God, to be a part of His work. You can have a desire to intercede for others. You can be motivated to ask for forgiveness, tell God you need some aid, you need something from Him, you need some support. All of these are motivators. And, and honestly, you're going to find those. That, those aren't odd, by the way. Jesus actually said those are all good things. And He kind of lays those out in the Our Father. If you read it, in Luke 11, 2 through 4, you're going to see, I encourage you, go check it out. What are the motivations that Jesus gives you? You know, glorify God, be a part of his work, intercede for others, ask for forgiveness, ask for aid and support. Those are all things that Jesus taught us we should do anyway. So that's a good, those are good motivators. If those are your motivators, good job. You know what I mean? Like, 
You're, you're right where Jesus wanted you to be as well. But really, if you look at it, why do you pray? It's because you want to connect with God. You have some faith at some level that says, God, I think or I believe that you are real and I want to be close to you. Right? And... Oh, I'm totally getting ahead of myself. Sorry. So, as we... As you look at it, though, who prays and when we pray is anyone at any time. And that's... Those are just some great scriptural examples. If you go and look at it, we're just an individual will go and pray by themselves. And there's so many, literally... There's no way I'm going to get all those on a page. It's just not going to happen. So here's a few. Go read them for yourself and you'll find dozens and dozens and dozens more elsewhere. Okay? But the other one is is just even looking at Acts. Praying together. Praying together is so incredibly powerful. And, and here's the thing though. Our society has become more and more individualistic. We have become so much more comfortable with the practice of individual prayer without the practice of corporate prayer. You know, meaning, corporate prayer meaning like we pray together as one people with one body, with one voice. That was, a, that was something Christians would do. Or early Christians would do. The Jewish people would do. Certain sects of Christianity do today. And personally, uh, I've been in some, at least one of those. And it gets super dry. Because people don't know why they're praying what they're praying. They just say it from rote memory. Um, but when people know, oh my goodness, it's powerful. And a couple of times I've done that with, with disciples. It's been, with, with people who understood, I'm praying this and I'm bringing my heart to God. You can just feel the difference when someone's heart is, is really in a prayer. And when they're just, our Father who art in heaven... Holy be thy name, thy kingdom come. You guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a total difference between that and someone who you can tell when they're just bringing their heart to God. Mm-hmm. And there's power in that. And, and the history in, of our movement and fellowship, we don't really do that. And, and, and I think that's part of just Protestantism from you know the 1600s, 1700s, separating itself from the practices of the older church. Uh, it's kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of a thing. And it's something I actually want to study out further for myself because I think it could be really powerful to, to get into more of a, a ritual style prayer, maybe pray with a few other Christians who want to be with me in doing it and bring their hearts together in prayers that have, have moved people for hundreds and thousands of years. So, something I'm going to look at. If, you, if you're interested, maybe you come talk to me and we can talk about that together. But I, uh, I just put it all out there to say... Man, all of this is, and when you look at what Christians, when they pray together though, they move God. They move Him powerfully when they pray, when, when they get together and pray. And I think that when we pray, especially when we pray together, with our hearts really in it, I think we can, we see miracles happen, but I think we can see way more. Because honestly, I don't think we pray enough. I don't think we pray enough as a church together. And I'm going to be convicted later as I get with some of the leaders because I'm going to have to fight to remember we need to pray right now. Because <laughs> I'm just not in the habit of doing it well. But it's something I think we need to repent in. Amen? 
And so as, as Jesus said, I mean, it's great because then he's there. And as we look at the, the why, right, why to pray, we talked about a lot of the motivators of things that we can do, and, and I totally skipped who prays when I was talking about this. But really, why pray is because, as I said before, we want to be close to God. You know, there's a lot of things that motivate us. That was the Luke 11, right, the, the Our Father, all the things that motivate us and draw us to God. But ultimately, we pray because we have some level of faith. And the only scripture that I could find that even got close, it's not saying that one doesn't exist, but the only one that really came to me, there's no scripture that says, you need to pray so that you can be close to God. At least not one that I can remember or one that I found right away. Now maybe one of you sitting out there going, well, what about this scripture, bro? That's a great idea. The Spirit didn't lead me to that one. So, amen. But it did. I did get this one. And this was about it. Draw near to God and He's going to draw near to you. The implicit idea in prayer is, you're coming to God. And you see the example of prayer and the need to pray throughout scriptures. But all of it is because you have faith that God is real. And you want to connect with Him. Your faith moves you to prayer. It really is the simplest form. I mean, even someone who's coming from an atheist, as an atheist would come together. And the first thing that I really try to help atheists or someone of zero faith to do is pray. Just start to pray. Because that is a simple act of just saying, okay, I think you might be real. So help me know. And that's where it starts. Do you get what I mean? I mean that literally, they could read the Bible all they want. And that will help them. But the first time they pray is going to be the first time they really bring their hearts. So what about us? That's their simple act of faith. And I've heard it said, faith... If you want to know how much faith you have, ask yourself how much you pray. Because when you pray, you're bringing your heart to God, you're bringing your, your issues to God, you're trusting in God's providence and needs. And, and it starts there. So how's your prayer life going these days? How are you doing? And one thing I've found, though, is that God rewards faith. He works powerfully through people's, uh, through their prayer and, and through their faith. But prayer is a major component of it. You bring it to God. And, and so what I want to do is, is we're going to look at just a, a couple passages. We're going to look at two. And, and there's all of those that I've already given you. So go and read those yourself and take a look and, and work on your own conviction about this as well. But I want to I want us to help keep in mind, though, that this is a common practice for the early church, that they get together and they pray together. And and our goal this year is to be connected to Christ and connected to each other. And corporate prayer, meaning the body praying together, whether we're praying the same thing or we're praying ritually or conversational prayers, they unite us. And they move, they pluck the heartstrings of God and they move Him. So what I want to do is, I want to look at Acts 4. Turn over to Acts 4 really quick. Acts 4, verse 23. So, (laughs) keep in mind, just a brief context about this. Uh, 
Peter and the like Peter has just been captured, right? John had been had been taken, and they'd actually been they'd been punished for or, or gotten a stern talking to about their their miracles and their preaching in the name of Jesus. Right? And so they they go back and, and we're gonna pick up here in verse 20, 23. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod, who was a king, and Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Rome, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. It says, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So, a couple things, right? These believers, they they get together and they pray. And they they have just been intimidated. They're trying to intimidate Peter and John. And you know who's intimidating them? The people who just murdered Jesus. Right? And so when they're saying, hey, you need to stop. If somebody had just murdered me, okay, and then you guys, because let's say I was street preaching or I was preaching and and I get murdered because I'm a Christian. What is the chance that you're going to feel bold to go out and start preaching the word again? But within what is the chance that if the same people who just murdered me showed up or a group of those people and said, hey, you need to stop or we're coming after you, that you're going to stop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my goodness, these guys were bold. Yeah. I mean, talk about faith that we will not be stopped. Now, if you look at the psalm that they're quoting here in, in uh, verse 25 and 26, if you go back and you read that psalm, that psalm is fire. I mean, it is fire. And so when they start quoting this psalm, maybe they read the whole thing. Maybe they prayed through the whole thing together. And they're just like, Ah, oh, God, you need to be feared. You're mighty. You're strong. We will not back down. And so they're praying. They're like, Give us faith and boldness. And, and it says, like, the building was shaken that they're within. Was the building literally shaken? Maybe it was. I think it probably was. I don't know what was going on, but they left there and they walked out and they preached fire. 
And you looked what happened, right? In, in 31, the Spirit comes, they get out, they're filled with boldness and courage. They start preaching the gospel in verse 33. You look at, uh, you, you keep going and you see in, in chapter 5 that they keep going. God performs wonders and miracles. And you know what happens? People become Christians. Where did it start? With the people coming to God, the people that were going, hey, we just got threatened by the people who killed Jesus. Now, like, God, we're going to trust you to empower us, to inspire us, to fill us with faith. To, God, please make us bold. Make me bold, God. You know what he did? He made them bold. Yeah. But you know what they also did? They were in the scriptures. They were reading the scriptures about how, how unstoppable God is. You're not going to stop me? Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's where they're at in the passages. I mean, and that's just one. But then there's other passages too that people can get to and you can be moved by and it doesn't all have to be fire. Sometimes you need to be in the passage that's just talking about, God, my heart is breaking and why will you not save me and pull me from this death and, and lamenting and being angry that, God, these people, they don't love you, they don't serve you and you bless them and that's just not fair. And my life stinks right now. I mean, there's psalms about that. And you know what it says at the end? But you know what, God? I glorify you because at the end, I have salvation. And everything they have is going to rot. And it just brings back perspective. These are people who know the passages. Who've been trained since they were young to memorize God's word. They've written it on their hearts. They've stored it in their minds. They know it. They can pray it. There is power in knowing kind of the ritual prayers mm-hmm. of writing them on our hearts and minds. And it may take months, it may take years for us to memorize some of them. But we should probably start doing that. And I, I want to start trying to do that. But these prayers move people. And these themes happen when the church prays. You know, you look at you look at what happens, and it's, it's crazy to think at all the things that God does and how He moves people. through How, how we move God, and He moves us through prayer. Right? Acts 12. Go to Acts 12. Amen, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Acts 12, 1-5. Verse 1. Again, Peter, he just gets in all these situations. Um, you know, he has a habit of not closing his mouth, and he did that with Jesus too. But, amen, he's still doing it, but for Jesus now. Verse 1. But it says, It was about the time, uh, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. He intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Probably not going to be a fair trial, by the way. So, 
Peter was kept in prison by the church. Uh, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. All right, now let's let's just talk about this really quick, okay? So the Christians come together and they're praying. Now they just murdered James. So so one of the there's there's the twelve apostles, right? And then there's kind of his even beyond that there's his core group, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. So they just murdered James. Okay? Killed him. They're not kidding. Herod's not joking about this. I mean this is this is a big deal. And so they the Christians are like, God, you have to work. You have to work. They're praying, they, they get together, and a God performs he sends a miracle. This the story, if you read the rest of this, what happens is is God the Lord sends an angel and, and it's like gives him an invisibility cloak. I don't know what it is, but literally like the angel shows up and it's funny, he's laying there on the ground and it says he struck him on the side. So I'm wondering if he like walked up, kicked Peter in the side, hey you get up. Come on, let's go. And he's kind of dazed. He's like, what is happening? You know, he gets up and he, he put, he's like, put on your clothes. Poke on. And he, he follows this angel and the doors just start opening. Like, literally, the doors just start opening and he walks out. It's like they can't see him. And then he walks about a block away and the angel just takes off. And then Peter's like, wait. This is real? This isn't, this isn't a vision? He's like, this is real? And what, the first thing he does is he goes to some Christian's house. You know what those Christians are doing? They're there praying. They're praying. What do you think they're praying for? Peter. Right? He knocks on the door, and this young girl runs to the door, and she, or she comes to the door, and he, she like, hello? Like, Rhoda, open the door. It's me, Peter. You know? I imagine he's kind of hobbled in, like, trying to stay out of sight. What? She doesn't open the door. She runs off, starts screaming, because Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door, oh my gosh, she's here. And everybody's like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. She's like, no, he is at the door. Peter's probably there at the door, being, can you open the door? You know? Uh, but they, they don't believe it. The church doesn't even believe that God has delivered this miracle, but they have been praying for it. God, they open the door, they come in, and people start freaking out, and Peter's like, shh, be quiet. You know, and they celebrate, and the church is just inspired. Oh my goodness, God just did this. What just happened? Crazy things happen when Christians pray. God delivers miracles. Peter gets saved, right? Someone's saved. Peter's saved. And I don't know about you, but it kind of actually encourages my faith that they didn't believe it would happen either. Like, these are people who are accustomed to seeing miracles. More accustomed than we are, for sure. Like, and they didn't believe it was going to happen. Now, my heart can be moved. Uh, my heart was moved. Because, honestly, as I was preparing this sermon, I sat down and, and trying to read quickly, I read through about 20 chapters of the book of Acts. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've read that much of the book of Acts at one time. Like, I've read, I've spent hours looking at, you know, a couple passages, but it's been a while since I've read a large chunk like that. And I was flat out inspired and challenged. I was filled with, like, zeal and courage and grief. I, I feel like I am if you can't tell. But, 
you know, it was, it was also, it gives me a little bit of grief. It gives me a little bit of, of uh, I don't even have the right word for it. Because I'm like, why is this not happening now? Because these aren't, I'm not talking about miraculous gifts like me walking up and being able to touch so-and-so and have them, you know, instantly healed from whatever it is. I'm talking about, like, miracles that it's blatantly obvious that it was just prayer and the power of God that performed these things. That us hearing the, the voice, literally the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I think a big part of it is because we're so distracted. We're not connected to God. We spend more time, you know, playing Candy Crush or whatever different games. Or we spend more time, including myself, reading the news than I spend devoted in prayer to God. And it, it hurts my heart a little bit. It also tells me that we can see change. We can see change. But it requires change. Repentance. From, from me, from us, together, as the church. As we're connected to Christ, we pursue Christ. And, and we've got to go after Him together. Right? I, I do believe that we can see these things. And I think that we need to be coming together. And we need to ask. God, God can do crazy things. He can do more than what He's been doing. And He's done a number of things. But He can do more. In fact, He can do immeasurably, immeasurably more. But we need to ask. And ask. And ask. And ask. And ask. And be bold and be audacious. And if you read Luke 11, you realize that, it, that the Our Father is not all that He taught them about a prayer. The end of that, He goes... You need to keep coming. You need to be bold. You need to knock on my door. You need to not leave until you get what you want because you've got to get me out of bed and you've got to be bold and audacious in your faith. That's what the rest of that passage teaches. And there's more examples of that. But maybe you lack faith. And I think that's where, where you lack faith. You've got to come to God and you have some unbelief and we need to ask Him, help me overcome my unbelief. All of this started with the people who were earnestly seeking to connect with God through prayer. So, what is the prayers? It's the prayers like going through the book of Psalms. It's the practice of conversational prayer where we pour out our hearts to God. And when we don't know what to say, we just yell. Just let your groans come out. I'm serious. Let it, let it happen. You need to punch the ground, punch the ground. You need to go throw some sticks, and kick some stones, call out to God. Go do that. But present your heart to God. Right? We can, we can do this alone as well. You can pray. But it's also the practice of the church to come together and pray together. And praying together in prayer is powerful and can bring forth miracles. But we don't do it because of the miracles. To get the miracles, we do it to get close to God. The miracles are a byproduct of faith. And it, it's, it's all a faith-based relationship with God anyways. I'm going to wrap up here, but I have this, I have this story I want to read you. All right? Because when we are Christians and we come together in sincere faith, when we come together in faithful prayer, 
powerful things can happen. And there's a story of, of some young college students. Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London. And they went to hear this famed preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Now Spurgeon was a fiery pastor who saw thousands of people to come to have a belief in Jesus in the late 19th century. And while waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of the church? They were not particularly interested, for it was a hot day in July, but they didn't want to offend the stranger. So they agreed. The young men were taken down a stairway, and a door was quietly open, and their guide whispered, This is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon. If you know the story of Spurgeon, he would preach these sermons and thousands of people would come. And they would, they, they would like, they'd have to tell them, do not stay for the next service. Like, you need to leave because more people are coming. So, leave. Alright? And, and then, they would fill the entire building all over again. And it would just happen again and again and again. And what I love is that this guy, you can see his pride in, in the faith he had and the power of his people's prayers. And I think that they're praying for, he knew that they're praying for him. And he, they were praying for the people who were to come that day. And I've often, I, I try to often ask you guys to pray for me as I prepare and write my sermons. Um, and I do it because I deeply desire to be an instrument of God's will. Uh, I want to be, uh, I want the Spirit to speak through me. But because I also, I believe that your faith and prayers are powerful. I believe that you can pluck the heartstrings of God. I believe that your prayers can move God and therefore are capable of changing hearts, capable of healing the sick, capable of overcoming obstacles, and they're capable of moving mountains. But I think it's time, it's time to connect. It's time for us to connect with Christ in prayer like we haven't done before or like we haven't done in a long time. It's time to connect with one another and be unified in prayer. And it's time to see God work more miracles through us than He has ever before. Let's be a people connected to the Christ and devoted in prayer. Amen. Amen.